Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and Governor Greg Abbott ended water break requirements for construction workers in a heat wave. We have a star-studded lineup for today's show. Mother Jones's David Korn stops by to talk to us about no labels and all of their fuckery and their hope to throw the 2024 election to Trump. Then we'll talk to the Washington Post Catherine Rampell about all of the Republican fuckery towards the IRS. But first, we have the host of the Enemies List, fan favorite, the Lincoln Project's Rick Wilson. We have the band back together. Welcome back, Rick Wilson. I am back and glad to be here. We're delighted to have you. Always so much fun. And also, more importantly than any of that, you are today Trump's target. Once again, I am Donald Trump's target. We were running some ads in Bedminster, one basically calling him a spy because he's violated the Espionage Act like famous spies in American history. And the second ad is called Rats, where we're basically just doing what we do is yet anytime Donald Trump is disrupted and distracted, it's good for America. So the, the second ad is our famous Whispers girl saying, Donald, the rats are all around you. They're selling you out because we know how paranoid he is. So, yeah, he's raging on Truth Social this morning, his dollar store social media platform. It's a good day. Anytime Donald Trump threatens me, it's a good day. Let's talk about this for a second. Where is Donald Trump right now? He is in Bedminster, New Jersey right now at his mid-tier golf club. <laughs> but I read the, the uh, Times newsletter this morning, really smart, and it talked about how even though this polling is very good for Donald winning, that he's very likely to win the nomination. You really can see in this cracks of like some people getting their sort of heads back. Do you agree with that? What do you think? Look, in 2020 at the Lincoln Project, we modeled three to eight percent of Republican voters in nine key states. Okay. 
we determined those people were persuadable. And we got 5.85% of those votes. We did really well in our in our model. Little surprised how well it went because you know Republicans were all coming home at the end to Trump. Our model has become much more sophisticated and granular in the intervening years. And now the model is like between 7 and 11%. Now, that's not a ton of people, but it's decisive in a closely divided nation. And in the electoral college states, where it's going to turn on those states that have very, very competitive races. So we believe that several things caused that expansion. One is Dobbs, which absolutely peeled off Republican women like nothing else I've ever seen. Say that again. I want you to talk about abortion because that's something where I've always, 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 always been right. And I feel that everyone has not listened to me. Thank you. Well, here, here's the thing. Between <laughs> 20 and 25 percent of Republican women are either mildly or somewhat or are fully pro-choice. OK. And it's mostly mildly pro-choice. OK. Like no third trimester, blah, 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 blah. About 15 to 18 percent of Republican men are somewhat or mildly or somewhat or, or, or fully pro-choice. OK. So when Dobbs hit, it was like a nuclear bomb going off because the dog caught the car. And now they've recognized that a part of the party coalition, they've always been sort of like, yeah, we got to have those guys in the coalition, but we don't love them. The evangelical crazies are going to look at Dobbs and say, well, now we can set up snitch programs so women get reported for having abortions. So the side that overshoots on abortion is the side that loses. Right. The side that overshoots on the issue and the Republicans this at this in this part of our history are overshooting it by many, many miles. Right, right, right. Now, this should not be interpreted as as a, as an excuse for Democrats not to message on it correctly. Right, but that's what you're seeing. The Kansas model proved the case, and our and our current survey work is proving the case that it's not abortion per se that's changed that number. It's the sense of wild government overreach and the snitch programs and the six-week abortion bans. I mean, the six-week abortion ban is defund the police for Republicans. Right, right, right. Oh, I love that. It's like a narrow part of the party thinks that's the greatest thing ever. But but most people who hear it go, what the fuck are you talking about? I just want to get into this for one second. One of the reasons why it seems like Republicans right now, and again, it's not all Republicans. I think the base is very much with him, but the quote unquote thought leaders, the National Review crowd, right? The people who've read a book, those guys are freaking out because they know he doesn't have the numbers. And that's why they're trying to get third party candidates running. Well, that and look, the National Review guys in particular, they are like the worst DeSantis stands you've ever seen. I'm aware. They are obsessed with Ron DeSantis. They think his shit doesn't stink, that he's the tallest, handsomest man in the room. The five nine is the new six one. Right. And and that he's that he's brilliant and and ready to lead them boldly into the future. Now, that, of course, has collided with two realities. One, he's a bad candidate. And I, I, I say that objectively as somebody who's been in politics for 35 plus years and who's seen candidates good, bad, and indifferent. He is on the lowest quartile of candidate performance. He's not charismatic. I'm not being, I'm not being partisan. I'm not gaming the, the Republican primary in any way. I can just say he's not a good candidate. He's Ted Cruz without the charm. He's Ted Cruz without the charm. He's Jeb Bush without the smoldering sensuality. <laughs> Let the record show I laughed at Jeb Bush without the smoldering sexuality. But I didn't want to because I feel like a Jeb Bush joke is low. Like Ted Cruz, 
Okay, but Jeb Bush, like, please clap. The man doesn't even exist How anymore. He's not He's real. He's like Josh Hawley without the thick cloud of testosterone musk around him. Oh, Jesus Christ. We're opening the door to a lot of problems <laughs> right here. content warning on this podcast. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think that's a good point. So Truly. the national, but you're seeing, I mean, I think this, like, anxiety, the... The RFK Jr. prop up. Steve Bannon's monkey. And the Twitter bros, you know, Jason Kilikakis or whatever his name Calicanus, is, had yeah. spent three hours with RFK Jr. and was like, why won't Biden give me three hours? Why? It's a mystery. Why will the random guy who has no nothing to do give me three hours, but not the president of the United States? Math is hard when you're a tech bro. Math is very hard when you're David Sachs or Jason Calcanis or any of the other. Love that, David Sachs. Pilot fish swimming around Elon Musk's shark-like anus. I have to tell you, that crew, now Rick is laughing at his own joke. His, I, the ability to crack oneself up is something I've never had personally. But David Sachs, those crew, have they're trying to get famous off of of Elon Musk having purchased Twitter. Right. God bless him. I mean, that's the other thing is they hate the media and they hate celebrities. They don't hate the media and they don't hate celebrities. They want to be the media. They desperately want to be in the media. They desperately want to be celebrities. Oh, listen, right. let me tell you something. If, if MSNBC called up David Sachs and said, you, you we're going to offer you a contributorship, he'd be on that so fucking fast. Uh, so, yeah, he'd uh, be absolutely. on that at speed of fucking heat. He'd be wearing his Montclair hat on MSNBC. Right. There you go. Yes. No question. Those guys, they just think that now that their buddy bought Twitter, they're going to be able to take over the media ecosystem. And God bless them. I mean, you know. I don't know about you, Molly, but Twitter is insufferable right now. Well, I mean, he just made it very hard to use. Yeah. I guess it's not as hard to use if you're Elon because you have somebody who does it for you. But for the rest of us who have to use our own Twitter, it's very hard to use now. No, but I mean, I think the thing that they did deliberately was added the, this ability for the fucking troll armies to just take over the FYP, you know, for, take over your feed. Yeah. And and one of the, one of these mods that he's like, you are afraid of our intellectual power. I'm like, no, dude, trust me on this one. <laughs> that is the least of my worries. I'm afraid you're going to continue to post memes of Hillary Clinton dresses the devil. But let's just talk about intellectual power because I, we're going all over the place here, but this is pretty great. Maria Bartiroma, you may have remembered her as one time mattering. The money, honey, had James <laughs> Comer on her show. And James Comer said that people who watch MSNBC have a very low IQ. Yeah. James Comer has the intellectual horsepower of a fucking go-kart. I thought I would miss Louis Gohmert. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. He is Sorry. he is dumb even on the Gomert scale. And the Gomert scale is widely used by scientists to to measure the progress of I mean he is oh. slow. Yes, the Gomert scale used to measure both teeth and intellect. <laughs> you know, some Molly, some folk will never lose a toe. But then again, some focal. He's Comer, exactly. the slack-jawed yokel. <laughs> I'm telling you, Comer is an incredible politician. I am delighted to see him. My favorite thing that happened, and there were two incredible Republican politics stories that, that we did not see because they were drowned out by Trump's federal indictment, <laughs> his second indictment. One was Republicans fighting with each other over a gas stove messaging bill. 
incredible stuff. And the other was right around the time of the federal indictment, Chuck Brasley came out and said there were tapes of Hunter Biden. Right. Do you remember this? <laughs> I do. There were Hunter Biden tapes. And more recently, we discovered that the Hunter Biden tapes may or may not exist. And may or may not be real. Well, they may not. They may not even be fake. They may just not be anything. Right. They may not exist at all. At all. But here's the thing. They live in a separate universe. And so on OAN and Fox and every other goddamn place in the world, they're being fed a steady diet of bullshit every day. They're being told that this isn't really Donald Trump criming. The real criminals are the Biden family who have taken 50 jajillion bedillion dollars from, from, China. from China. 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 China paid them a lot of money. Why did China pay the money? For Burisma. Yeah, well, of course. And obviously, the China was trying to help Zelensky. Right, Zelensky. It all comes back to Zelensky. The conspiracies always become more Baroque with time. I want to point out another thing that happened this week, which was a little bit below the radar, because we have to now focus on the things that are that that the other incredibly fucked up things Republicans have been doing. I want to talk to you about this Don Jr. email scandal. If this were Chelsea Clinton, we would be talking about this every fucking day. If Chelsea Clinton had said the things in an email that Don Jr. is now proven to have said in an email. That was published. That there would be a bat shit Never ending Fox Never News. Ending. There would be House Oversight Committee hearings for a billion <laughs> years. It would not in any way ever, ever stop. So the the madness of these things is is like offensive emails among businessmen. Donald Trump Jr. spark fight in hedge fund case. One of the things that Donald Trump Jr. You'll remember Donald Trump Jr. as friend of the Jews. So I've been told. So I've been told because his his sister married a Jew. So obviously he cannot be anti-Semitic. We all know this because that's how it works, except that in this, he says we're having Jews over. It'll be kosher. Oh, my God. You know, almost like don't like punching Don Jr. because. No, I like he's it. so Go. obviously <laughs> impaired from a staggering, staggering set of pharmaceutical uh, challenges that that it's like and in sh- this way he is like everyone else I grew up with continue it's like shooting fish in a barrel and he's also just not terribly bright I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I just find the guy I find the guy just pathetic I mean he just he just, he just makes me sad sometimes watching him because you know he's down there in Jupiter Florida and his buddy Skeeter just just came up to through the gated community to check in and the guy at the <laughs> at the guy at the gates like Hey, Skeet. And Skeeter's like, man, I got a, I got a, I got a uh, DoorDash for Don, for Donnie Jr., man. And, and, and the, they wink and Skeeter drives in. He sort of stands at the door for a minute. They have that awkward transaction. This is, we've hit the Rick Wilson does fiction part of the podcast. Listen, I like a little fiction now and then. <laughs> I never know forget you do. that. Never forget that piece that we did about Hillary about and Jared <laughs> murdering up <laughs> Steve. <laughs> So let's just talk about this so that Republicans in disarray, Trump's federal indictment, the Justice Department completely fucked themselves, rolled the dice, got Judge Eileen Maga Cannon. And the other thing, I wrote a piece about this yesterday in Resolute Square. People are underestimating 
why a South Florida jury is trouble. It's not just that there are a lot of MAGAs down there. And and by the way, they're smart enough to play the game down there. They're like sophisticated enough to play the game. They're like, well, no, I'm a Republican, but I'm not a crazy person. The chance of getting somebody who will blow up the whole jury pool, easy, it's high. And the other thing is people down in Miami and the South part of Florida, folks from outside this world don't understand. People from Moscow come to Miami and go, wow, this place is fucking corrupt. <laughs> People from Mogadishu go, you know, the rule of law really applies better back home than it does here. People in Miami do not have the same standard of the rule of law that the rest of the country does. They are tolerant of corruption. It is part of the ecosystem down there. God love it. I love Miami like like nothing. You know, right there, you're going to have a not corrupt jury seems like a zero. Right. The idea that this people are going to go. Yeah. So he had some documents in boxes. What the fuck, man? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I'm done. Right. We've always had documents in boxes. Right. I mean, that's a, that was a defense that Hugh Hewitt made like two hours after the thing came out. As serious people are telling us that there's a serious right. case. You know, we have serious lawyers saying this and that. And Hugh Hewitt goes, he didn't even try to sell them. I am stunned at a level are you stunned? I'm not stunned. They're fucking, this is what they do. No, no. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm stunned that anybody doesn't expect now the Republican machine oh, yeah. to rally around the most absurd possible defenses. The, one of my favorite civil wars the last few days, Andy McCarthy and Mark Levin fighting over Trump. The amazing, amazing, like Andy McCarthy, a relatively serious lawyer, says, you know, Trump doesn't have a defense. It's done. And, you know, so the, the civil war inside the Republican Party over Trump's defenses and how to defend him is fascinating. And again, that there is that sort of gentry conservative media at, the, at, at National Review, et cetera. They hate Trump aesthetically. They don't like Trump aesthetically. It's right. But they want to win. They'd rather win than lose. That's right. That's right. And so what will happen if Trump is acquitted in this case or if DOJ pulls the plug because it gets too close to the election? What will happen at that point is that every one of them will bend the knee. Right, right, right. Which we saw this happen already. National Review, Dan and Rich and all the rest of them. Will baseball crank go along with it? Yeah, oh, that's Dan, yeah. He'll go along. Yeah, oh, that, <laughs> that's baseball crank. I didn't even know what baseball crank's name was. Yeah, every single one of them will, uh, and I'll, I'll give you exactly what it will be. While we have reservations about Trump's character and behavior, Joe Biden is a communist, lesbian, Marxist, Wiccan, child predator. If only, except for child predator, that's not good. Who is also senile. In this case, we must protect America and hope that Trump has learned his lesson. <laughs> and all of them, including Chris Christie and Susan Collins, they'll say, well, while I hesitate to vote for Trump. If I vote for Biden, America will go full communist and he'll seize the means of production and the kulaks will be killed in the fields. It's just that fucking crazy. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. 
If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. David Korn is the D.C. Bureau Chief of Mother Jones and author of American Psychosis. Welcome back to Fast Politics, David Korn. Good to be here. Always delighted to have you. I'll try to keep up with the fast speed. Yeah, don't know cursing. David Korn, talk to me about what's going on. (laughs) In the entire universe? In the universe that is Kevin McCarthy fundraising off Donald J. Trump discuss. I really thought at some point in time that we would get a break from the last seven years of craziness, <laughs> right? I mean, I've been covering politics for decades. I don't want to say how many decades. And it wasn't always like this. Young people out there, there used to be times when the news cycle, well, you didn't have to pay attention to it. Things would come and go. You know, people might be wrong, but they weren't crazy wrong. And the amount of crazy happened intermittently. But now, it's turned into a fire hose with an endless supply of crazy water. And every day, you know, if you're covering this, you could really have a dozen or two things to 
write about, talk about, masticate. It, it, it's just nuts. And of course, when you have these spasms, like the Trump indictment, it only puts everything from, you know, from a, a level of nine to 11 or even higher. And so one of the small little things that popped up in, in the last couple of days in this post-Trump felony indictment period is that Kevin McCarthy, and, you know, we can laugh about Kevin McCarthy. We saw how he barely became speaker and how he's become completely a toady for Trump after criticizing him following January 6th. Think about it. This guy is second in line to be commander in chief. You would think that that would make him act somewhat responsibly, at least some of the time, not all the time, but some of the time. Yet we see little evidence of that. You know, when after the indictment, a reporter caught up to him and said, well, what do you think of this? And he goes, bathroom doors have locks. Yeah, that was amazing. That bathroom doors are somehow safer than Biden's garage because, but again, I think it's important to mention Biden returned the documents, Pence returned the documents, and Donald Trump told his lawyers to lie about the documents. You listen, you know, having covered the government for years, you're going to find in a mess of documents in the White House or any place else the occasional inadvertent classified document or something else misplaced. And the whole key thing is when that happens, you give it back. It's very, very simple. You give it back. And that's what Trump didn't do. But but then, you know, not only was McCarthy being absolutely absurd, justifying what Trump was doing, uh, holding classified material in a bathroom with a chandelier, we must add. It was a bathroom with a chandelier. Chandeliers in your bathrooms, but um, I certainly don't, and I think most Ameri- Americans don't. Most American bathrooms are unchandeliered. But uh, in addition to all that, he sends out a fundraising email calling Tuesday, the, the day of Trump's arraignment, one of the darkest days in U.S. history. This is Trump's federal arraignment, not Trump's state level arraignment. Yeah, the federal arraignment Tuesday. And McCarthy's out there calling it the darkest day in the United States history and repeats all these lies that Trump has been telling and the Trump crowd has been telling, saying that Biden has kept classified information for decades. Not true. Not decades. And that this is a, a persecution and an unfair prosecution and that it was Biden who indicted Trump, not 24 members or however, however many there were of a grand jury of civilian Floridas, of Floridians. Um, so, you know, he, he's out there protecting Trump with absurd defenses. He's out raising money off this. And it really shows that the whole Trump thing here for the Republican establishment, at least, is based on money. It's really, really based a lot on money. What happened after January 6th, when Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy both slammed Trump for inciting the riot and being responsible for it, that's what Kevin McCarthy said, then within weeks, they both turned and had nothing to say about it. Kevin McCarthy ran down to Mar-a-Lago and posed grinning with Trump. I'm your guy. He bent the knee. Well, it was because they realized that the base, the Republican base, was sticking with Trump. And if they dumped Trump, Trump would tell the base not to vote for establishment Republicans, rhinos, but probably even more importantly, would tell the base 
don't send them any money, not to the Republican National Committee, not to the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, not to Mitch McConnell, not to Kevin McCarthy, not to the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, all these things. And while they get a lot of money from corporate interests and PACs and all that, they get tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars from these small donor Republicans who get 20 emails a day, various Republican causes, and they are fully in the pocket of Trump. They respond to all these lies that he puts out. They're rubes. I call them troops, Trump rubes. And they could not afford to lose these people. And now McCarthy is out there exploiting them and pushing disinformation to grind as many bucks out of them as he can, while Trump is doing the same thing, having raised over $7 million since the indictment news broke last week. So here's McCarthy fundraising on Trump. Two questions. Does Trump mind? Because historically we've seen that he doesn't like this. And then also, right, that's his money, right? It's my money. I think this is a question of a rising tide lifting all boats. Trump is, you know, scoring a lot of money at this point in time. He doesn't mind all these Republican entities raising money off the indictment as long as they're selling the same bogus narrative that Trump is being persecuted. This is the worst thing that's ever happened in American history. Forget slavery. And so they're all singing from that page. I think that's fine by him because a lot of other Republicans and Republican causes and right wing groups, I mean, they're all, you know, one of those, the fish that sort of attach themselves to whales, you know, and, or eat this, you know, the, the, the scum off. What I forget, we can, listeners, here's your homework assignment. Go to Google, you know, I think it begins with letter O or something. I don't know. Anyway, all these other Republican and right-wing groups, that's what they are. They're parasites. They're, you know, Trump's a big whale getting all the um, money from the base. And they're there sweeping up the crumbs and the stuff that he, he doesn't quite collect. And that is the Republican bio ecosystem. So here's a question for you. You have a guy called Asa Hutchinson. He is trying to run. (laughs) You have a guy called Asa Hutchinson. He was the governor of Arkansas. He is trying to run as a non-corrupt Republican. It's a quite a narrow lane. He shares it with a very corrupt, but also anti-Trump, but also worked in the Trump administration Republican by the name of Chris Bridgegate Christie. I want to ask you, Asa Hutchinson asked the RNC to make part of the pledge be that if the candidate gets indicted criminally. Back up a second. Right now, the Republicans have a pledge. You have to pledge if you're running in the Republican primary, and want to be in the debates, you have to pledge to support whoever the candidate will be at the end of the day. And Asa Hutchinson on this call with the RNC said, what is the, can we amend that to say you don't have to support the candidate if they are convicted of a crime? And they all said, the RNC on this call, no! Right, because that's our guy. Is that the saddest thing you've ever heard, or have you heard sadder things? I'm sure I can think of sadder things. I mean, it's a sad candidacy, Face Hutchinson. I mean, the whole, who is it? What's his name? Uh, one of the writers for the National Review. Baseball crank? 
Not the, that's the only one that exists. No, no. The other ones aren't real. Christopher Cook, the one with the British accent, who always sounds reasonable because he has a British accent. Uh, I think I'm getting his name right. After the indictment, he put out the felony, federal indictment. He put out a tweet saying, aren't you people sick of this? Isn't it time to move on? Shouldn't we be talking about policies that make America better, conservative ideals that will bring about a renaissance in this country? Hilarious. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, man. I think maybe it's Charles. I, I feel so sorry for you. You are so deluded if you don't understand what's happened to the Republican Party and the larger conservative movement. These people don't care about such things of which Asa Hutchinson speaks and the National Review writes. They they just don't care. They they want Trump. I mean, when he said I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and it's still vote for me, I mean, they they want someone who will shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone who lies and cheats and steals as long as it's to own the libs and as long as that person mirrors their sense of of, of, of grievance and resentment, whether it's economic resentment or racist resentment or cultural resentment. They don't care that he promised the best healthcare system ever. But if he's going to get out there and, and slam transgender rights and go on about the deep state, that's what they want. They don't want a guy who will deliver policy wins for them. Infrastructure week, they don't care about infrastructure week. They don't care if their towns and cities are getting more jobs because of government policy. That's not what they want in their tribal leader, in the American president. So it's kind of sad for me to watch these principled Republican policy-minded people believe that they can talk sense to the Republican base and the politicians that serve it. So let's talk about no labels. No labels. They have a label. It's called Republican. There's so much that they've done in the last couple of weeks it's, that's mind-blowing. And I had a big scoop that went viral on Twitter the other day that showed me the, the tremendous interest that people have in this group. No labels, you know, started in 2010, 2011, claim, you know, Democrats are too left, Republicans are too right. We need common sense, bipartisan centrism. And they got some members of Congress on the right and left to Republicans and Democrats to work together. And they are, okay, fine, go ahead and, and do that, raise money for that, whatever. But now they have working on a project to get on the ballot in states across our great land so they can then put a presidential nominee and vice presidential nominee, what they call a unity ticket on the 24 <laughs> ballot. Now, their idea is like, well, we, we only do this if the Republicans are too extreme and the Democrats are too extreme. And we can win with a centrist ticket that consolidates the Republicans and the Democrats. Of course, that's nonsense and it won't win. And most political analysts, and I happen to agree with this, but people who run the numbers and the nominees were Biden and Trump, it would likely draw more votes from Biden, and therefore it could help elect Trump and spoil the race for Biden. They claim that's not what their intent is. It clearly is what their intent is. They, they, they're they a dark money group, meaning they don't reveal who's funding them, although over past years... Largely Republicans. We have seen that big Republican pro-Trump donors, including Harlan Crow, you remember him, the Nazi memorabilia yeah. collecting billionaire yes. benefactor? Yeah, uh, I remember uh, that guy, Justice yeah. Clarence Thomas. I lose my breath just identifying who he is. But he gave money to no labels and other 
billionaires of that ilk have given money and they won't reveal their donors. It's they're very suspicious, very questionable. They do have never never Trump or Republicans like your pal Rick Wilson and other Democrats very worried. All they have to do to screw up the election is get a Joe Manchin who won't say whether he will or won't accept their nomination on the ticket. And then if he draws 10, 20,000 votes in some key states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, they'll most likely come from Biden. And that could give Trump a way to win the Electoral College vote once again. That's the worry about them. The story that I did this week, to bring it back to the most important thing, me, the story that I did was I was looking on their website, just sort of thinking about various story ideas I might do on them at various articles, looking for leads. And I clicked on their donate button here, help us donate money to us. And it took me to a website run by a group called Anadot, A-N-E-D-O-T. I said, huh, I've never heard of these guys, but it's not my expertise. I'll, I'll, I'll look them up. And it only took a few Google searches to realize that Anadot is a right-wing online tech company that processes donations, and its clientele is mostly, almost entirely, the far-right MAGA Republicans, people like, uh, it tries to raise money from Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, Lauren Boebert. It works with uh, uh, Turning Point USA for the Susan B. Anthony list, which is anti-abortion, focus on the family. And, you know, it not only works for them, it actually has a, has a service in which it tries to encourage direct payments to um, these organizations. So here is a group, no labels, that says, we don't like the extremists of the right or the left, but every time you give them 100 bucks, $4 or so of that goes to this tech firm that's working to amplify and support far-right MAGA Republicans, ultra-conservatives, and folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan. It seems completely out of whack. And the funny thing was, Anadot wouldn't talk to me, and I tried a gazillion times to reach somebody at no labels to get an explanation. And again and again and again, they did not return my calls. They did not return my emails. And I got someone on the phone and they said, oh, you need to talk to our communications deputy, Marianne Martini. She not real? And I don't know. She, she exists on Lincoln. I think she's real. And I, I, I said, okay. Okay. Screw to her. And they said, oh, 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 well, you can't, but you can email her. I said, great. And I said, can you give me her email address? They said, no. Now, to listeners out there, <laughs> this may not sound so bizarre, but you certainly covered politics for so many years. I have never come across a political organization that, as a reporter, if you ask for the email of their communication spokesperson, they won't give it out. But they didn't. And I left a message. And Marianne Martini, remember that name, Marianne Martini, not email me back, did not call me back. So for whatever reason, they are not, you know, being transparent or accountable about this firm or about where their money comes from. So um, we'll see. At the end of the day, they may not put anyone on, on the ballot and this may all blow over. But right now they are setting up to do that, which is why Rick Wilson and others are very worried about them. They're trying to get Manchin to run as an independent, right? That's the goal. That seems to be the goal. He is affiliated with them. He won't say one way or the other whether he'll do this. You know, I don't like making predictions. My hunch is that 
that he knows he sort of know that he can't win running. Of on course this, he knows yeah. he can't win, but that doesn't matter necessarily. But I don't know. Being blamed for the restoration of Donald Trump is a pretty heavy thing to have on your resume at the end of your career. So I, I, I don't know if he would go for this or not. But of course, he won't say so until the very, very, very last minute, because, you know, like a lot of these folks, if power to not say you get, you know, get booked on shows, people, you know, are more, you know, kind to you. Chuck Schumer may want to make sure not to piss you off. You know, he has no interest in not in saying that he won't do this. So we probably won't know until sometime next year. Incredible stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you'll come back. You know what? There's one way to get me to come back. Ask. <laughs> Thank you, David. Hi, it's Molly. And I am wildly excited that for the first time, Fast Politics, the show you're listening to right now, is going to have merch for sale. Over at shop.fastpoliticspod.com, you can now buy shirts, hats, hoodies, and tote bags with our incredible designs. We've heard your cries to spread the word about our podcast and get a tote bag with my adorable Leo the rescue puppy on it. And now you can grab this merchandise only at shop.fastpoliticspod.com. Thanks for your support. Catherine Rampell is a columnist at The Washington Post. Welcome to Fast Politics, Catherine Rampell. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. And for The Washington Post, you have a very interesting story this week. I feel like what's happening with the IRS right now and what's happening with this sort of politicization of the IRS is so weird and just like kind of a little bit terrifying. And I remember that you are the person who went to the IRS to that cafeteria, right? Yes, I have been on the <laughs> let's give more money to the IRS bandwagon for like over a decade. Will you start by telling us about the cafeteria? Yeah, yeah. After many months of pleading, I got permission to visit one of the Internal Revenue Services processing centers where <laughs> right. they, I know this is like every reporter stream. I can't even imagine how hard it was to get there. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, they, they take taxpayer privacy very seriously. And also, as you can imagine, the IRS periodically gets threats against it, etc. They don't really want strangers wandering around. But basically, I've been writing for a really long time about how we need to give more money to the IRS, not only for enforcement, but also for basic IT modernization, because right. they are using software from the disco era. And a lot of the work that's done processing tax returns is still done manually, like with red pens and then they have somebody manually typing into a computer. They don't they didn't have scanners at the time that I visited. Okay, so a year ago they didn't have scanners at the IRS. Yes. So I had heard all these crazy stories about how antiquated their IT was and I had been writing about for many years like we need to invest in the administrative capacity of government including in the IRS and I finally got permission to go visit. Again, this was about a year ago. And it was wild. It was like the weirdest 
Willy Wonka tour, you can imagine, because again, like this, this is a place that is usually closed off to outsiders and they have all of their own strange lingo for different things. Like there's the thing that opens the mail that's called the nibbler. (laughs) They literally (laughs) manually would cut open envelopes that they receive and then they would cut them open along three sides and then hold it up to the light to see if there was anything inside that might have been missed. And that was the candler. (laughs) So there was all sorts of stuff uh, like that that was just fun. But it was also really sad in a way because, again, we are the richest country in the world and we just did not invest in having a government that, you know, is even in the late 20th century, let alone the 21st century. And when I was there, you mentioned the cafeteria. The reason why that was significant is that they were the the agency was so backlogged due to a combination of again really really old IT and COVID. Like in many offices, right? In many industries, both public and private sector, there have been major disruptions because of the pandemic. But they were very severely disrupted by COVID, as you can imagine. And they had tons and tons of these paper tax returns because because a lot of people do still send in their tax returns on paper that they could not get through. And everywhere you walked on this campus, which is like like basically a giant warehouse, there were just stacks of unprocessed tax returns, including in the cafeteria. The cafeteria, it was no longer really functioning as a cafeteria. It looked like a giant corn maze almost of just stacks of paper tax returns. And you took a picture and it just was a sort of incredible moment of like, this is an institution that Republicans are trying to kill. (laughs) And they've been trying to do it for many years. Like I said, I've been on this beat for a while, roughly around the Tea Party Revolution. So 2010, that's when Congress led by Republicans really started gutting the IRS. And I think from then to maybe about 10 years after that, their budget fell around 20 or 25 percent. I forget the exact number in inflation adjusted terms. And that's part of the reason why they had not been able to invest. I mean, they had obviously like they're still using technology from the 1970s. So they had not been investing (laughs) for a long time in upgrading their IT. But also they ended up cutting back on enforcement. They ended up cutting back on customer service, you know, if any people listening out there ever tried to call the IRS during that period, <laughs> you know, your your call never got answered. Or if it did, you know, you might have been waiting on hold for an hour, which is unfortunate because if you're calling the IRS, it probably means you're trying to pay your taxes right. correctly and right, honestly. Right, right. And you have a question. So anyway, so the, the whole thing was really wild. And as I said, using this really dated technology, leading to a very frustrating experience for honest taxpayers and an easier way for dishonest taxpayers to get away with their dishonesty. And the piece published like in August of last year. So I visited, I think, in in late June, maybe. And then it finally ran in August. And it was around the time that the Inflation Reduction Act passed, which is significant because the Inflation Reduction Act invested $80 billion long term in the Internal Revenue Service and gave them the ability to plan, right? Like rather than than dealing with the whims of congressional appropriations from year to year, which, you know, again, they could massively fluctuate from one year to the next. And it was very difficult to do like an IT upgrade, which might require several years and and stages of upgrades. 
that had been challenging to do. So this was the opportunity for the agency to finally invest in those longer term investments. Again, both they bought scanners. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. They bought Good scanners and they hired a bunch of customer service representatives and rave and you know, a lot of that stuff, a lot of those kinds of investments. Um, require tr- training. So you might hire someone today, but they can't actually begin work for several months or be- they can't begin interfacing, I guess, with the public for several months because they need to get trained on taxpayer privacy and whatever else. And now with this debt ceiling deal, explain to us how that's changed. So the Republicans, after the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, almost immediately began trying to undo the investment in the IRS. And even before this debt limit deal, when, you know, was 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 finally resolved, like one of the first acts that the Republican House did this term, you know, after assuming the majority was they tried to defund the IRS and they wanted to take away most of the money, uh, particularly from the enforcement efforts. So when when I say enforcement, what I mean is basically audits audits, exams, appeals, all that kind of stuff. Through the negotiations over deficit, whatever, you know, like Republicans were claiming that they really cared about holding the debt limit hostage because they cared about our long-term fiscal health, which to me is a contradiction in terms because holding the debt limit hostage and threatening a global financial crisis will only make U.S. debt look riskier and make it harder for us to borrow, whatever. That's a whole other thing. One of the things that they demanded, ostensibly in the name of reducing deficits, reducing spending, was to at least partly defund the IRS. And again, (laughs) the IRS is a little bit different from other agencies in that when you spend a dollar, you know, you spend if the government spends a dollar, I don't know, on a Medicare bill, that may be a dollar well spent, but it is a dollar out the door on net, gross and net, let's say. When you spend a dollar on the IRS, it's a little bit different because the IRS brings in money, both through those enforcement efforts, i.e. enforcing the tax laws that already exist when people break them, whether deliberately or not. You know, I guess I should be careful. Not not everybody who underpays their taxes is a tax cheat per se. People make mistakes. But when the IRS gets money, it uses that money to bring in more money, unlike most other forms of government spending. And so right. the effect on deficits, on our long-term fiscal health, on fiscal responsibility, whatever term of art you want to use, is actually quite bad <laughs> if you take money away from the IRS. And the way that this deal was structured, it's still kind of vague. As you may know, there were like some side deals that went on with this debt limit agreement. Right. There's some stuff that was actually in the bill that both chambers of Congress passed and the president signed. And then there's like some gentlemen's agreements kind of things about right. what they're going to do with, with future appropriations. And most of the clawback of funding from the IRS is in that latter category. So they haven't actually, we haven't actually seen the full extent of where that money's coming from. Most likely it will come out of future enforcement efforts because that's the thing Republicans most want to go after. And that is frankly hardest, I think, for even politicians who are not anti-IRS to defend, right? Because like 
it sounds scary when Republicans say, oh, all of this money is going to be used to hire 87,000 gun toting IRS agents to, you know, bang down your door or whatever. Do they have guns? There is a very limited subset of IRS (laughs) agents who are carrying firearms. Oh, wow. I mean, why should they be different than everyone else in this country? Right. Well, it's like if you're protecting a witness who is testifying in court, for example, Okay. in some heated case, there are some people who have that job, who work for the IRS, who are armed. And the IRS actually does a lot of other stuff that I think people don't necessarily realize that they do. So you may recall that last year when Russia invaded Ukraine, there was this effort to like seize all of these Russian yachts and things like that. Actually, the IRS was tasked with doing that. I mean, I think in conjunction with some other agencies. So they do a lot of like sort of law enforcement type stuff, even if it's not the core part of their business that most people associate with the Internal Revenue Service. So there are a few that are armed. But, you know, if you get audited, like you're Joe taxpayer and you get it audited, I do not think the agent showing up at your door is going to be, you know, armed. Yeah. Well, that's something. Explain to us how really funding the IRS is is a good idea. If you want people to pay the taxes that they already legally owe, that is, we're not talking about raising tax rates. We're just saying whatever the laws already are, we want people to to pay that amount. So like nobody feels like a sucker because they're the one dope abiding by the law and their next door neighbor is is cheating a tax man, right? In which case the honest person in the long run is going to have to make up for the shortfall. If you want to collect the taxes that are already owed, if you want to make it easier for people who are trying to follow the law to follow the law, because we do have a really crazily complicated tax code, which is a whole other thing. And that's Congress's fault. That's not the IRS's fault. You want people at the agency to be able to answer the phone and to respond to mail and to have ways of answering questions that requires money. And the piece that I wrote this week, which I think is the the reason you wanted to have this conversation, was about some really fascinating new research from a group of economists at Harvard, the Treasury Department, and the University of Sydney that looked at internal IRS records to see basically what the ROI was on different types of audits. So like I said, you give IRS a dollar, they bring back more than a dollar because they use it to collect money. This team of researchers used internal accounting data from the agency and also records from the results of like 700,000 audits to figure out, okay, well, if you use a dollar to audit a poor person, how much money do you spend? Like how, how, how many audits can you do and how much money do you get back per audit? And if you use a dollar to audit a rich person, same deal. And they basically found that, yeah, it is more expensive upfront to audit higher income taxpayers because, you know, if you're Donald Trump, you have a really complicated tax return and a bunch of partnership returns and other things that are really hard to sift through that requires many hours of examination from government employees to figure out where you might have done something wrong. And it also generally requires a little bit more specialized skills from those IRS employees, right? The kind of person that you might need to 
employ the IRS to audit Donald Trump is different from the kind of person or the level of training, level of whatever, sophistication, degrees, whatever, that might be necessary to audit like a low income person who has a very simple tax return. And so they did find that it costs a lot more money up front for those reasons, you know, mostly that it requires many more hours to audit high income people. But the amount of money that comes back is ginormously greater. So for like the bottom half of the income distribution, on average, the IRS basically breaks even. They spend a dollar auditing, you know, the local plumber or whoever, or school teacher, like maybe they, they, they get about a dollar back on average. You know, some people, maybe they pay more, they, maybe they owe more and some people, maybe they owe um, nothing more or even, you know, maybe they overpaid, whatever. On average, they, the IRS basically breaks even. Not the case <laughs> at the very top of the income distribution. So for the people in like the top 1%, um, for every dollar that the IRS spends auditing them, they get back on average about three bucks. The top 0.1%, they get back over $6. And again, that's accounting for the fact that people are going to appeal and for people in particular, sometimes the IRS will lose those cases. Still, on average, they get back six bucks back. And that's just what they get from the audit. The other really interesting finding from this research was that what matters even more in terms of bang for the buck from the spending on auditing is not what they get back from the audit itself, but how the taxpayer's behavior changes going forward. So when you audit Donald Trump, if they ever conclude the never-ending audits, of course, maybe you get a few bucks back. But what really matters is that in the decade after the audit, Donald Trump starts following the law. Right, right, right. Um, and stops, or Donald Trump or whoever, but you know, stops taking dodgy deductions that they shouldn't be taking, um, starts reporting income that maybe they had been receiving under the table, or stops reporting as a dependent, um, a child who doesn't live with them most of the year. Whatever the thing that they were doing that turned out to be wrong, again, whether that was an honest error or deliberately cheating Uncle Sam, they, they generally stopped doing it. The amount of additional tax revenue that comes in from these sort of chastened taxpayers is roughly triple what gets recovered from the initial audit and requires basically nothing more from the IRS, right? The IRS has done its audit but now these people are following the law going forward and the IRS doesn't have to like get on their case anymore. So all of which is to say that when you take money away from the IRS, it costs a ton of money, especially if the, the line item that you are taking money away from is auditing the rich. The headline number is basically for the, the highest earners, every additional dollar that Congress could give to IRS could bring back $12 in return. When you include those deterrence effects and you include, you know, what gets recovered from the audit, all of that, that that's an enormous return on investment. Like any rich person can tell you, <laughs> you know, the rich person is being audited. They'll be like, that would be a great return if I could get $12 for every $1 I spend. So interesting. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now your moment of fuckery. 
Jesse Cannon. Molly Jongfast, we're going to bring Rick Wilson in for a special moment of fuckery right after this, but I think you want to address what's been going on with Joe Rogan, RFK, Elon, and... Dr. Peter Hotez. Elon and Joe Rogan want Dr. Peter Hotez to debate demented anti-vaxxer RFK Jr. And so I have an offer for Joe Fear Factor Bug Eater Rogan. You can debate me anytime you want. So Rick Wilson, let's talk about our moment of fuckery. Do you guys want us to podcast again? Listeners, if you want Rick and I to start a podcast again, tell us. Tell us. Rick. (laughs) Send Rick lots of text messages. Rick. Yes. If you were to take a moment that was your most fucked up moment, perhaps a person who who has sparked your ire, who would it be? God, this week? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think think the pinnacle of all of this this week has to be, you know, Trump himself. He continues to play this fucking game with America that he's above the law, that he knows he will never be held to account. At some point, it's like it's like a morally offensive grind on everything. And I, I seriously, I do. It kind of weighs on me sometimes. Like The death of American democracy weighs on you. I wish there was some sort of shame factor that still existed in American society, but there's not. You want mine? Yes, Because mine is part of yours. This week, Donald J. Trump, perhaps you've heard of him, after he had his federal indictment, on the way out, he went to a famous restaurant in Miami called Versailles, right? Yes, indeed. And at Versailles, in the Palace of Versailles, not to be confused with the Versailles in France, uh, he told the group that... <laughs> no, every- no, indeed. <laughs> he told the group that uh, he would treat... It was all his treat. People then ordered and he promptly left. I feel like that is the lesson of Trumpism right there. Like Berlusconi... All his treat, and then he leaves. So I was in Italy two weeks ago, and this this one guy said to me, he "Goes, you know, Trump learned everything he everything he he, he had about criminality from from Berlusconi." He goes, "But the thing about Berlusconi was he was a real crook, but he would also pay for dinner. Trump has never paid for a dinner in his fucking life. I promise you. I, I will say this too, Molly. I mean, if you're in Miami and you go to Versailles and you don't eat a croquetta, or or, or as, I, as I say, I will eat my body weight in croquettas, and that's a lot of fucking croquettas. Mm-hmm. And he didn't take any croquettas to go. He didn't get a media noche or a Cuban sandwich hot and pressed or anything, right? He stops at a goddamn McDonald's drive through on the way back to the airport and eats McDonald's on the plane. It's just like, it's like the well-done steak of visiting Miami. You don't eat a well-done steak. You don't get McDonald's when you're in Miami, one of the greatest food cities in the country. That's so into the lesson. And there it is, our moment of fuckery. Rick Wilson, I hope you will come back. I will certainly come back, as you know. And uh, <laughs> I think I'll have you on the on the uh, enemies list again soon because people liked you. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.